We're all on a journey trying to understand life, God, what He wants to do in and through us. Yes, I've asked them, and you've asked them. Today, we're going to talk about unanswered questions. Welcome to Life, Love, and Family. There's a time to live and a time to die. There's a time to laugh and a time to cry. There's a time for war and a time for peace. There's a hand to hold in the worst of things, in the worst of things. He is with you when your faith is dead and you can't even get out of bed or your husband doesn't kiss you anymore. He is with you when your baby's gone and your house is still and your heart's a stone. Crying, God, what'd you do that for? He is with you. Welcome into Life, Love, and Family. Hi, I'm Dr. Tim Clinton, president of the American Association of Christian Counselors. We've all had those questions that concern us, confuse us, challenge us, that need answered. Like, God, why are, why are you silent? Why do we have to suffer? Why me? Why now? Why us? We're going to talk about those unanswered questions today. Our special guest is Dr. Jeremiah Johnston. He's a New Testament scholar, apologist, and sought-after speaker at universities and churches all over the world. He completed his doctoral residency in Oxford, and he received his PhD from Middlesex University in the United Kingdom. He has earned advanced degrees in theology from Arcadia University, and he received his MDiv from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Johnston has distinguished himself with publications in both popular and scholarly books and journals. He has appeared as a theological and cultural expert on CBS This Morning and numerous network affiliate television stations. He's often quoted in USA Today in their Faith and Reason blog. And the most fascinating thing about Jeremiah is he's the daddy of triplets. Jeremiah, welcome into Life, Love, and Family. Oh, Dr. Clinton, it's great to be on with you. I've admired you and just love the program, so thanks for having me on. Tell me how the kiddos are doing. We want to hear about them first. Uh, we're crawling in all different directions, so pray <laughs> I bet for you us. Um, the only intro I need to your national program is overstressed father of multiples. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Jeremiah, you have a real affection, love for apologetics, You've distinguished yourself as a scholar, historian. How did the Lord lead you in that direction? Well, you know, it's interesting. That's such a great place to pivot from, Dr. Clinton. I've always had deep questions myself, and I'm thankful for the godly heritage that I have. And many people who are listening to us right now, they have a godly heritage, and yet we have to come to a point where we own our own faith. And so in the process of just simply having my own questions and wanting to dig deeper as a pastor, as someone serving the Lord, I just saw that, oh my gosh, the well is deep. When we come to Christianity, when we come to the evidences of our faith, there is an incredible, incredible body of work that just simply validates all the truth claims that we see of Christianity. It's really, Dr. Clinton, the most exciting time to be a Christian is today. We have more access to the truths that buttress our faith than at any other time before. And I really realized something interesting. 
I can know more about my faith today from an evidential standpoint than did many of the great Christians who have come before us. I'm talking about Augustine. You know, he knew nothing about biblical archaeology. Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, knew nothing about the Dead Sea Scrolls. So we're really living in a golden age. And so first, it brought vitality to my own life. And then just simply at the intersection of faith and the scholarly world, my wife and I had this vision to launch Christian Thinker Society, a ministry dedicated to helping Christians, all Christians, not just a few Delta Force Christians like you, Dr. Clinton, but everyone listening to us now, to become thinkers and thinkers to become Christians. And so I've really dedicated my life uh, to answering the unanswered questions that we all face. One of your very first works called Unanswered Questions And inside of it, uh, Jeremiah, you take on some pretty significant issues, and you've been with us uh, at many of our events. You talk about how this came about in a pretty organic, unique way. Tell us about that. We did. You know, we wanted to make sure, see, the job of the apologist, and I think it's important we define that word because many people think that we're apologizing for something. It is a word from the Greek New Testament, apologia. We see it show up throughout the New Testament, any place we see someone giving a reason, an answer, a case, you think of the Apostle Paul throughout the back half of the book of Acts when he's giving a case, an apologia, a reason for the truth of Christianity. That's what apologetics is. And yet the job of apologetics is to make sure that Christianity connects up well with the questions our culture is asking today, right now. You know, we face different questions than C.S. Lewis did even 50 years ago. We face complex questions. And so my amazing wife, Audrey, she gave me this idea. She said, Jeremiah, we've got to know what the questions really are, because we want to make sure we're ministering to people right where they're at. We're, We're not talking over their head or under their head. We're talking straight to them. She said, let's start taking live questions from the audience, and you answer them at the end of every one of your Christian Thinker Society events. And how would we take the questions? We would have them texted in. And Dr. Clinton, I was shocked first at just the amount of questions that we received, and many of these from Christians right inside the church. Sure, we took questions from everyone, but the majority from Christians and of all denominations. So not just the number of the questions, but the nature. And so at the time I wrote the book, there were 4,000. We've received well over 10,000 questions now. So it really gives us an understanding as believers, where we're like those that tribe of Issachar in First Chronicles 12.32, men and women who understood the time they knew what Israel should do. I feel like we've got our hand on the pulse of really what the deepest questions are, and so we wrote a book to speak to those. Yeah, our special guest again today is Dr. Jeremiah Johnston. He is a scholar, an apologist, uh, leader of the Christian Thinker Society. They're out of uh, Houston Baptist University there in Houston, Texas, and you're traveling all over the country, speaking everywhere, Jeremiah. Got a real passion for us to know truth, because it's truth and ultimately our relationship with Christ that sets us free. Let's jump in to some of the topics you took on and let's start with, you know, the, in, in the book of Hebrews, it says those who come to God must first believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so we hold on to that, Jeremiah. But if you're like me, there have been times when you felt like God was silent in your life. It's, it's where are you, God? Who are you? And there's a lot of stuff that starts swirling with that. What did you find out about that journey personally, and what are you seeing in the lives of others? Well, there's so much that we could go through here. Just in a nutshell, this is the number two question, top two that I've been asked. Where is God? He seems silent. 
If you're listening to Dr. Clinton and I in our conversation today, does it ever feel like God has unfollowed you in your life? <laughs> Do you feel like you're in this cosmic game of hide and go seek? Where are you, God? Why aren't you answering my prayers? Well, guess what? You're in very good company if you are. You know, my wife and I, we struggled with five years of God's silence in a very personal, specific way. We could not get pregnant, uh, and we tried everything, everything scientifically, medically, prayerfully, spiritually. I've had, you know, people speak words over us. I went to any possible scenario to be successful getting pregnant. Nothing was working. And I don't know what it is, Dr. Clinton, when you struggle with the silence of God as a follower of Jesus. If you're not careful, you can get so stressed out in it, your theology can become incorrect. And actually, we can become like the disciples in John chapter 9, verses 2 and 3. You remember they brought the boy born blind to Jesus. And in verse 2, it says, who sinned this boy or his parents that he was born blind? Jesus says in verse 3, neither sinned. This is not a result of sin, right. but that the power of God can be manifest among you. And so what I realized, pivoting off that passage, I began to notice there were men and women in the Scriptures, Old and New Testament. The men and women that were some of the choicest of God's servants also struggled with significant moments of the silence of God. And the issue always comes back to, are we going to trust God? Because there's a real corollary between the silence of God and waiting on God. In the book, we discuss Abraham, 25 years of God's silence. Joseph, 13 years. I mean, Moses waited on God 40 years. We could even throw Jesus in the mix 30 years before he began his public ministry. And so it really comes to really personally trusting God. I actually point out in the Bible study version, Dr. Clinton, that Henry Blackaby, you know, he wrote Experiencing God, a Bible study I think everyone did, you know, in the late 90s and early 21st century. Yes. He discusses himself. I mean, imagine this, the context. He writes Experiencing God, and yet he struggled often with the silence of God in his life. And he said, I would first go through my sin checklist to make sure I was okay and on good terms with God, And if I was, which invariably I knew I was, secondly, I realized that God was taking me deeper. And so Audrey and I, we came to that point where we were going to trust God whether we could get pregnant or not. And of course, there is a disclaimer I have. Be careful what you pray for, Dr. (laughs) Dr. Clinton, (laughs) because God does have a sense of humor, because he did answer us after five years. We had our daughter, Lily, our son, Justin, as he mentioned uh, triplet babies, but we learned some vital lessons that we really cherish even in our own life today. It's so easy during those moments, though, when it's silent, to feel like God is not for you, that he's not present, that he doesn't care, or maybe he cares about everybody else, but not me. And Jeremiah, you're right. It's easy to get lost in this. Speaking truth, giving wisdom and direction during those times. Problems aren't going to be the issue. It's what you do in the midst of them that determines the future. That's right. What do you think was the most beautiful truth that God gave to you? Here it is. I can give it to you in a soundbite because we all love soundbites. There are 7,487 promises in God's Word from God to us. There are only 290 promises from man to God in the Bible. 7,487 from God to us. How do I know that? A Sunday school teacher, a Canadian Sunday school teacher, on the 27th time he had read his Bible, decided to stop and count up every promise in God's Word, Genesis to Revelation. Dr. Clinton, it took him a year and a half. He counted every single one. Of course, a skeptic came up to him and said, well, how do you know there are that many promises in God's Word? I've only heard there are 3,000. 
He responded, he said, because I counted every single one. What I realized is we can stand on those promises, and those promises are not there for us when we're on the mountaintop. They're there for us when we have to make a key decision, when we're having a problem with our son or daughter, when we're facing an issue in our marriage. Those promises are there, and we have to stand on them. You said that the silence question was one of the top two issues that you addressed in the book. What was number one? Dr. Clinton, this is why I am so passionate about what you are doing on media. Your voice in our country has never been more needed than it is now because the number one question, and I was shocked by this, and keep in mind, this is after receiving 10,000 texted questions. The number one question from Christians, followers of Jesus, is what do I do about suicide, mental challenges? So the entire intersection of faith and mental illness is the number one question that we've received in our events. You know I'm going to say, hey, I see it every, every day. Uh, I remember years ago, uh, Dr. Dobson was telling me that of the programs they had done on, on the family through the years, that one in particular he had done, I believe it was with Paul Meyer, on mental illness and the family was the one that just absolutely blew everything out. What do you think's going on? Let me hear from you, what you found. Well, the first thing I want to say to our audience is you don't have to be crazy to have a mental illness. And we have to stop the silence in our churches about this issue. The stigma, everything, the shame that's going with it. Totally. I mean, and I experienced this at a grassroots level when I was pastoring, an associate pastor of a larger church. I'll never forget a family making an appointment with me asking me if they could join our church. They wanted my permission, and I, it was a curious request. I said, of course you can join our church. Any follower of Jesus can. We have membership covenants, yada, yada, yada. And they said, well, actually, Pastor Jeremy, as I've known then, he said, we were told to leave our last church because our daughter has bipolar, and we were told she, it's demon possession. Will she be welcome here? And so at a grassroots level, I saw how the church does so much damage when we don't speak to it. The great thing about AACC and what you're doing, Dr. Clinton, is you, and especially with your new book that's coming out, you are equipping Christians to speak in an informed and intelligent way about the questions about suicide, mental health, challenges. And the problem is when we are silent, that allows room for the enemy to give so much lies, because John 8:44 says he's the father of lies. Dr. Clinton, I was speaking at an e-women event this year in Tulsa. There were thousands of women there, and I discussed this issue of mental illness. I was inundated after I spoke, and I'll never forget a woman who walked up to me shaking physically. She said, my husband was a pastor, I think she said for 12 or 13 years, and unfortunately, he took his life. I had no information. I didn't know where to go. And another Christian pulled me aside and quoted a verse out of context from the Old Testament, and said, he is now in hell. And she said, today is the first day you've given me closure that my husband, Romans 8, nothing can separate him from the love of Jesus Christ. Thank you so much. And so I use that as an an emblematic of when we don't speak to it, A, there's a lot of misinformation, but B, the scriptures have so much to say about right thinking and speaking to this whole notion of mental illness. Because, Dr. Clinton, I know you've used all the statistics on your show. No one is unaffected by this. And yet, 70% of our pastors never speak about this issue that we're discussing right now. You think it's just unaware? Well, I actually think some of the pastors are barely coping themselves, Dr. Clinton, and that's why. I think that they're struggling with their own challenges, their own families. Being in ministry is so difficult. And so how do they speak about something that they necessarily haven't 
overcome or conquered or they're just struggling with their own coping mechanism. I think that is probably the number one reason. The number two reason is the stigma. I mean, Dr. Clinton, we've done over 80 events now on our unanswered tour, and I wish I could tell you that every church was very happy with me discussing mental illness from the pulpit on Sunday morning. I've had some churches, now these are few and far between, most are standing up and and loving it, but I've had one or two that have not wanted me to come back because, you know, there's a Pharisee in every crowd every time you speak about this issue. You call it the invisible disease. Clarify that for us a little bit. It's invisible because it's this elephant in the room every Sunday in our churches. We act like we need to be perfect and that if we're a good Christian, we're not going to be depressed. Oh, really? Have you read the Bible lately? In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul, of course, I call him the Job of the New Testament. He is so discouraged. He is so depressed. He uses a Greek word, apokrami. It's a hapax legomenon. It's the only place that word is found in the entire Greek New Testament. There's 138,000 words in the Greek New Testament, by the way. He says, I have the sentence of death within me. I don't want to even go on living. And yet he ends that passage triumphantly. If I look behind me, even in the midst of my suffering, God delivered me. If I look before me, God will deliver me, and he is delivering me now through the power of the resurrection. And so when we see that even Paul suffered with it, when we think that Elijah asked God to kill him, are you telling me that a follower of Jesus cannot struggle with depression, with anxiety, or any of the associated mental illnesses? Of course we can. And so that's when we need the body of Jesus Christ. And Dr. Clinton, this is why I pray for you You are in a battle. I pray protection on AACC because you are filling the void. And brother, I just want to tell you, keep doing what you're doing because it's exciting to watch when people finally speak to this issue with intelligence and spiritual compassion instead of with ignorance and with the heart of the Pharisee. You know what's exciting for me, Jeremiah, is we here at the association we have events. Uh, We put on a world conference where we bring literally seven plus thousand people together counselors and pastors from all 50 states, 40 foreign countries, to talk about issues like depression and ADHD and obsessive compulsive disorder, relationship issues and more, but firmly rooted and committed to the scriptures, loving God and really believing that our hope and our strength lies in our personal relationship with him. And what's really fun is to see how the room just lights up and these people sing to the Lord, they praise and worship, they celebrate their faith as they present their topics. They really, I mean, they're passionate about centering and salting their work with the scriptures and a vibrant relationship with Christ. There's a movement afoot to deal with these issues, and we need to pray that God would continue to speak life, be life-giving to people, especially who are out there, who are hurting, they're getting beat up, uh, you know, and saying, hey, listen, you shouldn't be depressed. You need to get over it. You need to get through this and these addictive patterns and stuff. Not that we are excusing anything. If anything, we're acknowledging it and saying, listen, there's a way toward hope, toward freedom. Let's walk in this path together. And we're not separate from the church. We're, we're the body of Christ coming together to do this good work. And Jeremiah, let me come back to those who are listening right now. Uh, when you're dealing with an issue, it's not fun when somebody you love is really depressed or they're talking about wishing they didn't live anymore. There's fear. There's everything that comes to place. What you've tried to do, again, is you've tried to deal with these questions, these issues, and provide hope in your Unanswered Questions book, right? That's exactly right. And I, 
And Dr. Clinton, for the individual, and there are many of us, thousands listening to us right now who are struggling, I want you to know there is a healing equation. Don't allow this unanswered question related to any of the associated mental illness to bring paralysis into your life emotionally or spiritually or maritally or in your family. There is hope. You need to hear that. Because guess what? Every family struggles with this. And you know what? What you're hearing from Dr. Clinton, what you're hearing from AACC, what you're hearing from our organization is we're going to love you instead of judge, condemn, or misunderstand. And you know what? It is so important that we hear that. You are loved. You are appreciated. We understand the battle that we all face. That's why it's so important we get resourced and equipped. And Dr. Clinton, that's why I'm thankful for the conference in Nashville every each year, the World Congress and the work that you're doing, because there is a hunger. Because unfortunately, if we go to a Christian bookstore today, there's not a section on how do we deal with mental illness. We don't even know how to ask. This question is so complex. And so we do want to find great work. And here's the interesting thing, Dr. Clinton. The first stop when anyone is having a psychological problem or crisis, the first place they go is to their pastor. And so we have, as pastors who are listening to us, to be ready to speak and minister to this issue. And it's amazing the hope and healing that can come when our pastors speak to us. What did Paul say? We need to have a reason for the hope that lies deep within us. We've got to know what we believe. And that doesn't mean we're perfect and we have all the answers. But, man, if we can just offer something, some direction to others, especially in those dark hours, what a gift. Jeremiah, let's keep going for a moment. You take on the issue of suffering, too, in the book. Talk a little bit about that. Well, this is the number one question that Christians walk away from the faith, an experience of evil, suffering, or pain. And I'm very passionate about this issue because, again, this is one of the most frequently asked questions that I've received. And unfortunately, we have a Western theology that is new, which is not found in the New Testament, that God just wants to bless us all the time, that God is here to be our concierge God. Whatever we need, He gives to us. It's very similar to a genie in a bottle, and if He doesn't, I don't want that God. No, the God of the Bible says, coming to me, we have to take up our cross and follow Jesus every single day. And here's a fascinating point, Dr. Clinton. When we read in the New Testament all the adversity that followers of Jesus face, I wish I could tell you that in the New Testament, it's like the, the story in the book of Daniel with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, where, you know, there's an immediate, you know, God is with them in the fiery furnace, and then that's over, and it's an immediate, immediate escape. Guess what we see in the New Testament? We don't see that immediate escape from suffering or pain or trials, but we see in every spot Jesus Christ with us in the midst of that trial. I had a couple come up to me when I was speaking in Santa Cruz, California, at a mental health rally. They lost both of their daughters, age 14, age 16, driving home from a Luis Palau rally. They were hit by a woman who was drunk and high. Both of their daughters died instantly. They not only survived that in their marriage, they forgave the woman who hit their car And they now go around the country speaking with the very woman who killed their 14- and 16-year-old. The only reason they survived that adversity is because of God who says, I am the resurrection and the life. I will be with you in the adversity and the challenges. I asked Dan, the father, what would you have done without Christ? He said, I would have died. I would have died. God is more real to me now than at ever any other time in my life. 
So I hope that our listeners can hold on to that, whatever they're facing today. It's hard to go there. It's hard to transcend the darkness. It's easier to get angry and to just tuck away and live in denial, numb the pain. It's seemingly easier just to put my head down and go on. Jeremiah, I want you to speak to those who are listening right now. I know you take on some other issues, but in here, you're trying to push us. You know, most of us, we're not really very good students of the Word. Not many people are spending much time in the Word. We worship the Lord in spirit, but not always in truth. We don't rightly divide the Word of truth well. Call us back. Challenge us for a moment. Speak into our lives. Call us as a generation also to step into the lives of other people. Well, as I said at the beginning of the program, it's an exciting time to be a Christian. 70,000 people a day are coming to faith in Christ, but it is also more difficult. And Dr. Clinton, as you're seeing, there is a post-Christian, hostile-to-the-gospel spirit at work. There's an anti-Christ spirit at work, even in our country. And it is up to every one of us, because not since the days of the Roman Empire have Christians faced so many attacks, and make no mistake, so many intellectual challenges to our faith. And so it is up to every single one of us to stand up and say, and it's my favorite passage in the New Testament, Jude 3. Jude 3, there's only one chapter, so Jude 3. Jude said, I want to write to you about the deep things of the faith, but I must implore you, contend for the faith. He uses that Greek word epigenizomai, which means what? Continue to attack. We have far too many Christians in retreat mode today. We need Christians who are listening to this program, wherever you're at, to say, God, I'll take that hill for you. I'll reach my street. I'll start with my next-door neighbor. I'm going to be a Christian thinker. I'm going to do what Jesus said in Matthew 22:37. I'm going to love God with my heart, soul, and mind. He said it again in Mark chapter 12. I'm going to love God with all my mind. How do I do that? I can only do that through bathing my mind in His Word, where all of the wisdom is found. And so I hope and pray that as a result of this program, many of you will say, God, today, I'm not going to talk about the past, but today I'm going to begin being a Christian thinker. Jeremiah, if people wanted to learn more about your ministry, they want to be a part maybe of Christian Thinker Society, they certainly want to grow in their faith, they want to be salt and light, they want to be called maybe to a soul care ministry, how do they reach out to you? Thank you for that, Dr. Clinton. Please go to our website at Christian Thinkers, with an S on the end, ChristianThinkers.com. And of course, like our Facebook page, we have hundreds of videos up there that you can use in devotional settings. We have a, a numerous different Bible studies we've created. Our passion is resourcing and equipping everyday Christians to have an intellectually informed reason for why they believe what they believe. Our special guest again today has been Dr. Jeremiah Johnston. He's a pretty fascinating young man. God's got a hold of him. He's a New Testament scholar, professor, apologist, speaker, going all over the country, talking about unanswered questions and the truths bathed in God's Word. We need to raise up a generation of Jeremiah Johnstons, don't we? He's taken on some really serious topics, tough issues. In his new book, Unanswered Questions, I think it's something you might want to look into. 
If you want to learn more about our ministry, go to lifeloveandfamily.net, lifeloveandfamily.net. You can call us toll-free at 855-455-3264 for Life, Love, and Family. Thanks for listening. Life, Love, and Family. America's number one Christian residential treatment program, Honey Lake Clinic, specializing in addiction, depression, anxiety, bipolar, PTSD, staffed by nationally recognized psychiatrists and psychologists, a team of MDs and 24-hour nursing care, a 600-acre scenic sanctuary of unmatched beauty, Honey Lake Clinic. Most insurance accepted, scholarships available. Phone 844-747-7772, online, honeylake.clinic.